G'day mates, g'day ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Guitar Wang Podcast. Uh, where are we at? 224, baby. Episode 224, we hope you are well, safe and healthy and uh, dealing with the crazy as well as anyone. Um, yeah, we hope, we hope you're safe, hope your family's safe and uh, your headspace is safe, you're getting lots of playing in, whatever you're doing, we just hope you're well. Uh, big shout out to a good mate of mine, Orf, who's a, probably the number one listener in the world, Orf, I'll give you that credit, sir. Often I will get a text message that he's re-listening to episodes. Why would you torture yourself, son, that way? I mean, it was Orf's birthday the other week. Happy birthday, mate. Um, I'm looking forward to sitting down and having many brewskis with you at some point in the future when we can uh, catch up again. Orf's in Sweden. Who'd have thought? A guy named Ulf from Sweden. But anyway, he's a great mate and uh, love you, mate. I hope you're doing well. Uh, yeah, so we have an interesting one today, by to say the least. Um, let's just say that alcohol was involved in this one. Uh, not by moi, but uh, other con- contis- constituents. Would that work? Let's use it. Um, but we have a great player. One of Bruce's mates said um, you, we would all know him from the album that I regularly play on this uh, podcast, the um, High Plane Riffsters, one of those great guitarists. Uh, Whit Smith is, uh, joins us, and the great thing, he joins us from his car. He's in the car because, uh, of course, he's uh, hours in front of us, and he was so kind to do it late at night. Um, so he's didn't want to wake up the family and he had to go to his car to do the podcast that is commitment and of course he brought a little taste with him as well did uh, Bruce so <laughs> yeah there you go yeah, you'll see but um, it, was, it was a lot of fun catching up with great player we're going to play a track from uh, him in a second um, I believe it is Ain't Misbehaving and he's gone old school on this one it's really cool so I'll let you guys check it out before we start the episode. But uh, also, uh, what else have to? Yeah, it does go in and out. We have some audio issues just dealing with Zoom and Whit being in his car and just internets and just uh, just deal or fast forward or whatever you need to do. Uh, we do we're doing what we can, ladies and gentlemen. And on that note, go to guitarwank.com. Uh, go there, check out the, all the other amazing episodes, all the other 223 episodes we have there you can listen to and uh, and hopefully that will keep you going for quite some time. Also, you can go to Guitar Wank. No, you can go to Patreon slash Guitar Wank. Sign up there and you can be a part of the Guitar Wank Minute where we send you lessons out. You get lessons, which is cool. So uh, you can sign up there, you can get lessons from Bruce, and they're like under a minute, and they're amazing, they're awesome. Also, you can send us uh, an email at guitarwank@gmail.com. but if you have a product or you have something that you want to promote to other musicians, to this audience, this is a great place to do it, and uh, we will be start running ads soon for certain products. If you have an album that you want to get out there and let other musicians and guitarists people around the world listen to this is a great place to do it because uh 
we go all around the world on all platforms. Uh, we have a huge audience. We are in the top 1% of podcasts. Can you believe that? I'm amazed myself. So um, this is a great platform to promote yourself and get that out there. So reach out to us at guitarwank at gmail.com and uh, make, sh- make sure you put in the subject line what you're talking about. You want to promote on Guitar Wank or advertise. What do you want to do? And uh, we can make that happen for you. So sit back, enjoy Wit and the guys, and uh, we will get into it uh, straight away. But here is Ain't Misbehaving, uh, Wit's old school man. He goes way back. So uh, check it out, and uh, we will see you all next week. Thank you. Oh, remember to hit the like buttons. Reviews and likes. That's what we need, peoples. Reviews and likes. And we have new mugs. Go check out the new mugs on guitarwank.com. And we're going to have more. We're going to have socks. Doesn't that get you excited, right? Coming into winter, winter, you need Guitar Wank socks, baby. All right. Enough of that. All right. Let's go. We'll see you guys all next week. Be safe. So by the time by the time they get the oil out speaker, as I call it, they'll be twice as good. Come on, George, that's your demonstration. Ain't misbehaving. You got an open container in there too. Oh, oh. Jesus! More than one. I brought extra in case I had to share. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Texas. I think. Oh, look, yeah. Mom, no hands. I think as long as you're not, as long as yeah, as long as you're not looking at the road, you're okay. You know. Look. No, I don't want to do it now. Oh, look, I'm being beamed up by an alien. Yeah, right, man. This is even better. Wit, I can hear going? you. Hey there, how are you going? Scott, you, uh, Wit, you remember Troy, don't you? Yes, we met at that restaurant in Los Angeles. We did, right. yes, we did. A while back now, back when life was kind of semi-normal. So It was normal for some. Yeah, right. A little <laughs> bit of a difference now. <laughs> yeah. It is. Hey, man. I'm Scott. Sure nice to meet Scott you. Scott Henderson. He, 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 you know, yeah. He looks just like that too. Yeah, he's kind of a font guy. Yeah. <laughs> are you, uh, Troy? Are you, where are you? I'm in. Uh, I'm in North Hollywood. S- Scott's in. Uh, what Eagle Rock? Yeah. Bruce like is in Glendale. 
Oh, I was going to say, geez, Bruce, pass, pass that taste over. Man, look at oh, this. What is it? Is that oh, art? I like Art Bag. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've had a bottle of that. I like that one. That's good. Troy That's nice. Got, and Troy got me hooked on it. He gave me one for Christmas a while back and fucking sent me in, you know. Uh, I still got, still yet to That's taste it. Now, now I'm on street corners begging for money for Art Bag. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've got, I've got, um, I, I have some uh, highfalutin, uh, some synthesized version of a 12 year old. Okay. They added, they put it in a sherry cask. Ah. And uh, it's real. It's real nice. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't have the. You know, I'm a little bit of a Scotch snob, and I like a certain kind of pedigree vibe. That's why I like the Art Bag and Lagavulin and things like that. So this is a brand I, I'm not familiar with, but I gotta say it's good. So there you go, man. You know, I've been known to drink Trader Joe's Scotch, so you know there. You know, <laughs> although although he would be like Trader 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 McJoe, right? <laughs> Trader, Trader Mick Joe, Trader I Mac get it. Joe, yeah. Hey Bruce, why don't why don't you do the introductions? Okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, I am so glad we finally got on the show. A dear friend of mine, one of my favorite players, uh, just uh, all around great guys in a band called Hot Club of Cowtown, and uh, an exponent of really the swing style of guitar in his own way, and uh, just a really nice guy. Wit, meet Wit Smith and check out Wit Smith and all of his various iterations. He's got a lot of cool stuff up on um, on for education, how to play swing guitar. He's also got some of the most amazing vintage gear you could ever come across. I'm jealous. And um, but we're talking vintage, Scott. Not like you think vintage. He Wit is like uh, 20, 30 years behind your vintage stuff. Oh, so like the gear from the from the twenties and thirties? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I can. They they made pedals back then, didn't they? Yeah. Well, they, they had to. Uh, Elvin Shamlin did have a volume pedal. It's true. He did have a volume pedal. <laughs> Was, wasn't the Echoplex invented around nineteen nineteen? As far as I remember. Wait a minute. Del Casser yeah. swore he wrote. He made that or something, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, they didn't utilize it quite the same way. It's sort of like gunpowder in the Chinese, you know. They could have been, they could have had bullets a long time before we did, but uh, they just use it for different things. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, well, wet welcome, mate. Thank you. Um, this will de- this will definitely skyrocket your career in the right places. Oh man, well, thank you. I, I was just Jones checking out your call. You right after you finish this podcast, Quincy Jones just calls. <laughs> oh, it happens to every guy we've had on the show. Yeah, you know, I'll make sure I check the spam calls there. We hope that by the next time we have you on the show, you won't be living in your car. You'll be living somewhere else. <laughs> well, the car's not so bad. At least I got a good car. You know, it's, it's- nice, dry. Nice roof over my head. Wait, is this a sign of the times? Like you're you're living in your car now? Is that where we're at? Well, it, it sucked at first, but then I realized that I had air conditioning in my car, but not in my apartment, so that wasn't so bad. <laughs> now, now, hold it. Where are you at the moment? In my car. No. <laughs> you ask a that stupid a, question, right? That a trick question. Trick question. Yeah. See, I'm not drunk yet. I'm not drunk yet. I'm getting there, but I'm not drunk yet. <laughs> well, what part of uh, United States of America are you in at, at this present time? I'm in Austin, USA. Austin, t- Austin, man. Austin, I love Texas. what a what a great 
place, Austin, Texas. Yeah, it's really nice. I like Austin, Texas. It'd be bloody warm there at the moment, right? Oh, it's warmer than warm. Yeah, yeah. it's getting bloody hot. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was trying to do an educational video today, and I was, it was like a hundred. I was in a like an outside back patio, and it was, a, I don't know, hundred and four or something. I, it's pretty hard to wow. concentrate for more than about four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> It's getting kind of interesting. I was getting pretty far out. Now, yeah, sorry. Well, you know, it's now, always better to confuse them. That way you can sell more videos. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, I wouldn't trade it for the world. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Bruce, correct me if I'm wrong, but we play Wit all the time on the show, right? High Plane Rifters? Yeah, he's on there yet. Wit is the star of that uh, that co- uh, irritation, collaboration, and coagulation. Yes. <laughs> That oh, that man. gets regular awesome. airplay on Guitar Wing. Yeah, we we it, yeah it gets it gets every time he can't find anything else to play, he puts us on. You know, it's just fun stuff to listen to. It's just it's it's just there, and it's it's upbeat. It's happy. Makes me feel good, and it it makes me want to pick up Western style playing. Which it's pretty organic. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's I love it, man. You guys, sort of, not sort of, really. You know, that was a great few days. And, you know, we just got together, me and Wit and a guy named Rich O'Brien. And uh, and we just sat and kind of talked about playing tunes and arranged them on the spot and played them. That's how that – that was like a really fun fest where we all were working with different bands and we just took a few days off and hung out together and, you know, basically complained it was. about our lives while um, – while uh, just recording a three-guitar record. It was really fun. Well, I believe through Guitar Wank and us playing High Plane Rifters CD a lot, um, people have actually got together and learned some of those tunes. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people have been playing them. So that's kind of oh, cool. super cool. Well, you know, I, always way cool. I was the guy that where, you know, old tunes go to die. I'm, the, I'm that guy, you know. Blue <laughs> <laughs> Foreman's band. Where old tunes go to die. <laughs> I, I thought you were more of the, uh, where they're born again. I don't know, man. I, uh, so, you know, uh, the born again thing is already taken by another organization. <laughs> was Billy Graham. Sorry, I was... <laughs> well, now it's Franklin Graham. He's yeah, way worse. Yeah, right. Oh. Franklin Graham. <laughs> Yeah, that's his son. Oh. He's the guy that he's the guy that did every single thing his father told him not to do. <laughs> which is get involved with the Republican Party and you know, like get religion into politics. Like for, uh, Billy Graham made a famous statement, said, "I would hate to see a union with." the religion or Christianity in the far right because the far right only uses Christianity to exploit it. And that's exactly what Franklin Graham is doing. You know, like exactly what his dad told him not to do. <laughs> that's what he's doing. Well, I just got to say that pretty much everyone does exactly what their father says. Not to do. I'm, uh, I'm having trouble with my Zoom here. Uh-oh. I don't. I I didn't want to say it. I I wanted to look over my shoulder at the sound man and say like, you know, the monitors are fucked up. But <laughs> no sound man. I'm in my car. <laughs> well, you know, usually anything that goes but... wrong on the show, we blame it on Troy. So you know, you can blame him for it. I I was trying to, you know, instinct was kicking in, but it was the wrong instinct. 
<laughs> is, it, is it working now? Um, or is, how's it working? I can't, now? I can't see anybody, but I, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm glad to be here, and I maybe you can hear me, maybe you can't. But uh, now but we're audio uh, anyway, so it doesn't matter. Oh, hang yeah. on. Yeah, it's it, we we don't put it up as video anyway. I'm so. not going to get much worse off than this. So, <laughs> <laughs> and my last bottle of scotch. I'm in my car. See, I've still got a three quarters of a tank of gasoline. So, yeah. Wait, are you actually at the drive-in watching a movie? I I know that I'm not answering the question properly. I I I think you just asked me did I ever used to watch Buck Rogers on. <laughs> Television. Um, <laughs> but, hey, um, hey Whit. Something tells me you didn't ask me that at all. No. The Zoom is really messing up here. Hey, Whit. Do we reconnect? What do yeah, we do? Why don't you turn turn your video off? Yes. Video off? Yeah, turn video off. Hang on. Let me. Okay, let me you try. Know, that. I usually do that Switch. anyway because when I'm on my laptop and I have the video on, it it's buggy. And when I turn the video off, all right. it helps. Stop. Okay. I, all right. I push stop video. Okay. So oh, you can hear me okay? iPad. All right. Yeah, I can hear you. We might have to do that just to help. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Believe me, no one wants to look at me. That's for sure. <laughs> I hear you. I do hear you a little bit better. It's a, it's not perfect, but it's definitely better. Okay. That might be better. Okay. God, now I can take my clothes off. Thank God. You know? oh, okay. Yeah, I was wondering, all you were dressed in the lanolin there, weren't you? Well, man, it's actually cool where I am. I oh, don't want to really? rub, it, rub it in on all you guys, but it's actually quite cool where I am. I, I thought Austin was pretty cool, but it wasn't that cool. Uh, well, where, yeah, is Scott there? I'm here. All right. There. And Troy's there? I'm here. Troy, are you there? Yep, I'm here. And Bruce is there. Okay, I'm 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 back. If you uh, if you'll have me, I'm here. So so what's new? What's new, Wit? What what you guys? I mean, here you're in the pandemic. Uh, I I know that I talked to you, and uh, your band is kind of on hiatus till the gigs come back. But you also, for those of you who didn't hear my intro, Wit is in in the popular band Hot Club Cowtown, and. Uh, just recently is, is is the change in personnel uh, public yet or did i blow something here by mentioning it <laughs> looks like you blew a seal uh, yeah. uh no it's uh, not your you're fine <laughs> great joke <laughs> it's been sorry. an ice cream <laughs> i'm sorry uh, uh no you're fine that's fine that's um tell the world tell it off the rooftops well you tell uh, us you tell us about what you've been doing then well, uh, all right, Hot Club of Cowtown. Uh, we've been, you know, on the road for over 20 years now. It's hard to believe. It's a big world. We're a small band, so it takes a while. Um, Jake, the bass player, uh, bass player extraordinaire, uh, Chet Baker, doppelganger, he decided that this was a good time to leave. And and uh, I don't, you know, that's fine. I, I think he's going to go work for FEMA. I, I don't know. If I believe that, but that's what he told me. <laughs> oh, wow. well, I hear, I hear um, that, that band is going places, man. Well, you know, uh, baby steps, you know, you want you don't want to accelerate too fast. We've seen them come. We've seen them go. One thing you learn is you want to yeah, go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
anyhow, so yeah, so Jake's moving on. God bless him. It's amicable. That was all right. Not like the last time where we had a complete, the last bass player left, we had a complete fist fight, and it even made the, the papers around here. It was funny. Cool. Um, this, uh, so that was fine. And, and now we have a number of people uh, asking, which is really an honor, uh, you know, to, to give it a shot. So, yeah, so we will find someone. I, I, I hate to use, I would not use the word replace, but, you know, someone else will play the bass and maybe we'll add another instrument or two or maybe someone will, one person will be fine. So, yeah, so uh, evolution continues. That's fine. Yeah, well, I guess this is a good time, right? Because you don't have a whole lot of work, so you can do some uh, shedding and maybe even kind of reshape the sound to the new guy that joins or the girl, you know? Yeah, I it's uh i've been shedding and um shedding and yeah and uh but you know the band everyone lives in different places so uh well everyone is now two people because <laughs> it's big quit <laughs> so yeah. it's alana alana spends a lot of time she's the fiddle player and the singer and she she uh i sing a lot of things she plays fiddle i play guitar uh she's off most of the time in the mountains in the deep back forest uh montana wyoming even Northern California. Oh, wow. And, um, and yeah, uh, that's what she likes to do. And I like to get up at six, drink four cups of coffee, and listen to Charlie Parker. So that's, that's my burden, and I love it. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, we're evolving uh, in our own strange ways. It's, uh, we have a guy coming in on uh, Monday who's going to try out for uh, – you know, to be in the paddock, you got to, you really do. You have to take baby steps, uh, in all seriousness. You, you can't just try to replace someone. That's ridiculous. After 20 years, that's ridiculous. So you, you meet people that you like and you play some gigs and you see what's going to happen next. I mean, what Daryl Jones, do I dare say Daryl Jones has been in the Rolling Stones for a long, long time. Yeah. And, uh, and you still don't see pictures of him when you see a publicity photo. <laughs> yeah, right. So hey, Wit, Wit, tell us, tell the listeners, um, for they, for the the few that don't know the band, what kind of music do you guys play? What's the the lineup and what kind of style of music are you guys playing? Uh, all kidding aside, we play a version of traditional Western swing. Um, so uh, when I say Western swing, a lot of people that's a sound like a dog hearing a sound they're not familiar with. Um, when I when I say Western Swing, I'm thinking of the 19, early 1930s until about the mid 1940s, and then and then it just uh, pretty much as rock and roll and took over and tastes changed. It 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 evolved into other things. Um, so we play it's heavily swing based with a lot of uh, improvising. And that improvising is influenced largely from like a 19 late twenties through the thirties aesthetic, you know, um, Louis Armstrong, Lester Young, those guys. Right. Um, that's for the soloists, but Bob Wills is probably the most famous personality. Uh, and he had certainly was extremely charismatic and, and had a real knack for picking excellent talent just incredible people to play in his band so you know they did a lot of things that you might call hokey or 
hayseed or whatever by today's standards, certainly. But if you get into it and you start listening, you're like, oh my God, that cat on the left can really play, you know? And, and it's full of that. And, uh, so, um, he, he's a mainstay. I mean, if you want to, Milton Brown, uh, there's a number of guys who, who did this stuff. Um, but anyway, that's, that's the charter as it were, that's the charter of the band. And then the band, we, we write songs ourselves and, uh, they vary from, uh, sort of, uh, Appalachian country to regular old, you know, 1930s swing. Not big band necessarily because we're a three piece, and that's another thing. Like you, you do learn to make a big sound. We've often been, you know, people have often commented that we sound a lot. You know, we sound like six or ten instruments than three. You know, and that's that's sort of a trick you learn. It wasn't really intentional. It just developed that way because you know, in your imagination, you hear all this stuff, and uh, and so as if you. <laughs> necessity i guess mother of invention you just create ways to make bigger sounds so, now, even if you are using a 12 watt gibson amp <laughs> <laughs> now uh, i got uh, no wait, i think i'll take a drink of scotch wait i got a question for you and feel feel free to jump in bruce and scott what is the difference between as a guitar player and the way you think for Western swing, besides the obvious, maybe uh, instrument and tone and approach like that, but as in playing a wise and playing through changes and stuff like that, what's the difference between, say, jazz and Western swing and uh, and going into different styles? Like, wh- how are you guys thinking differently, or are you thinking differently at all? All right, so probably some of the honest answers are very unsatisfying. <laughs> like uh you know boils down to the individual etc you know that kind of stuff um which is completely honest uh i don't see why the mandolin player who played fiddle and man electric mandolin in bob wills's band tiny Moore, there is no i mean he could have been in lionel hampton's band and uh given the opportunity i don't see why he wouldn't have progressed even further you know a lot of it has to do with you're a certain age with a certain lifestyle at a certain time and place and you're making a living and you're, you're kicking ass. Uh, and you know, you, you meet, you meet a, somebody and you, you want to start a family or do something different. And, uh, you're, you're that, that direction tapers off and things move on, you know, so there is that. So to be, but to, to answer your question more in a more satisfying way, there's kind of no difference when left up to the soloist. Um, and yet there is a likeness of mind with, with, you know, aesthetics. Am I getting too far out or is that okay? No, no, no. I mean, oh, it's fine. You know, no, I mean, I think it's true. I mean, for any of us, you know, if you take any particular style, you know, whether you were to say bebop or swing or fusion or uh, rock you know, within that, there's a wide variety of different ways to do it. And, um, and you know, and, and that's kind of like, it gets dangerous as it gets, as it becomes something older, you know what I mean? Like, it's not necessarily as current. People have a tendency to kind of want to see it as like a monolithic thing when it's really not. Um, 
And also, Western Swing is just kind of, and I mean, granted, I I have a band that plays a style of that that's definitely, um, you know, is is unabashedly mixing other styles with it. You know what I mean? But um, when you know, I've always felt that Western Swing got that name because they were they were basically playing swing jazz, of course, with the instruments they had at hand. I mean, these were guys in Oklahoma that had fiddles and guitars and mandolins and stuff. You know, they weren't guys in New York with saxophones and trumpets and pianos, you know, but they were playing the same songs that everybody was playing in New York and New Orleans. They were basically playing a swing beat and they were improvising, you know I mean? So it was jazz. It was just that in order at, at the time, you know, that Bob Wills and Milton Brown were playing that on the radio, they were they were selling flour to uh, rural housewives, and the word jazz was so Afrocentric and urban that they needed another name for it, and they called it Western. I mean, that's I mean, I know this is Bruce Foreman rewriting history. This is like drunk history, right? <laughs> but I want that class, man. <laughs> in, in a way that they just kind of needed a name for it that they could sell the music to an audience. And of course, these guys were string players. They were German descent, a lot of them. So polka was a big part of their worldview. So there was a little bit, a little bit of that flavor in their way of playing swing, but they weren't the only people that had like a polka style beat in swing. There were lots of black guys, you know, I mean, there were lots of bands in Kansas City and stuff that had a lot of that flavor, too. But particularly the Western swing of the of the Milton Brown and the Brownies, which Bob Wills was in. That's what I hear, you know, and, and, it, and it naturally evolved. And of course, Bob Wills did hire horn players who were stone, what you would call Dixieland players or traditional jazz players. He hired swing jazz players in his band and they. It, it sure seems to me he never asked them to change their way of playing. You know what I mean? Um, Jimmy Weibel, who joined that band, uh, was copying Charlie Christian. You know, he, he that's what in his stories to me, that's what he told me. And some of their solos with that band were actually Charlie Christian solos you know, that he, he arranged. So, like, uh, the line for more Oh, I'm getting some weird audio. Yeah, my audio is going nuts. <laughs> well, maybe it's because I'm so full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, you know, I, it, to make it, uh, I, uh, I, I, I don't wear like a cowboy hat or cowboy boots, and and when I play Western Swing, and and I get. I get a little flack for that sometimes. And it's it's mainly because I love a certain period of time and and a certain aesthetic. And it, it is fast. It as an artist, there is no limit. You can just knock yourself out, man. You can learn Cole Porter tunes, play like Django Reinhardt or Charlie Parker. You can shred all day long and it's completely acceptable in that abstract way that you have to understand the aesthetic and and you know that is a trick um but some you know and I, anyway that's that's my church you know that's where i go but uh, the thing is is it's such a small flash 
of time because the music was evolving so quick and the jazz artists, you know, between before and after World War II are dramatically different. And uh, I love a sweet spot that happens sort of right in that window. That's my favorite. But but as compositions and stylists and the singers and the songs go, it can go before. It can go well into the 30s, even the 20s. But, but man alive, the stuff that was going on in the 40s, they, I, probably because people seem to have matured. That's It's probably unfair to say, but a good guess, I think, is people matured a little quicker in that part, that midway, anywhere in the world, probably back, you know, before the before the 50s so in if you're growing up in the 20s and you're you're becoming a young person in the 30s and you know you've got you've got the juice and you got the inspiration and you've just logged 10,000 hours into your instrument and you're just aching you're ready to go i mean holy shit man it's just that time you know that little time that we were so lucky that people started to make records and record radio shows and live performances it's just so amazing that live performances always to me are are favorable to a studio i mean i realize as a sonic thing it's not the same i love listening to the who or somebody on a stereo where the record is a, an art as a production piece it's beautiful but you know listening to bird blow his head off in, in a club man holy cow in the mid you know mid 40s it's just unbelievable <laughs> So, Awit, how how are you handling not playing at the moment, doing gigs? Because it sounds like you guys gig a lot, right? You guys are pretty busy normally. Normally, we gig a lot. Um, so, right. So, I'm home. We're not gigging at all. Uh, it sounds like you're out on the plains. <laughs> well, I I am uh, I'm mostly. In, in my four by four foot square little dark room, like <laughs> trying to play guitar for a few hours a day. <laughs> but is the, the audio still going crazy? Uh, uh, going crazy. Yeah, it sounds windy. It's going crazy. I wish it wasn't. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, but the devil, he's always got it out after the good stuff here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's me. Well, when, uh, when, anyway, when did you, yeah. and, when did you and Bruce meet? When did I, I'm sorry? What? When did you meet Bruce? Bruce Foreman. When did I make, Who's when did I make Bruce? No, meet. Yep. That's that. <laughs> uh, that's that Aussie accent kicking in. Sorry, mate. No, it's, it's not your accent. It's the audio is nuts. Um, um, at the Monterey Jazz Festival, probably around 2004. Is that right, Bruce? Roughly? Yeah, probably, yeah, the early, yeah, the early 2000s. Western, the Western, uh, 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 the Monterey Cowboy Poetry yeah, Gathering, yeah. 2004. Right? right, yeah. That's that's where we met, and uh, I was amazed that he was friendly. Um, not that I was, I didn't know him to know different, but. I'd read about Bruce and heard Bruce and uh, you know, I, I, it was kind of the last place I would expect uh, a serious jazz artist to come walking up and say, Hey man, I play Western swing too. <laughs> was at the cowboy poetry gathering. <laughs> so that was cool. Uh, 
Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we just, we just clicked, man. Cause, cause Bruce is a dynamic cat and he, and he listens to a lot of different kinds of music and can play all that stuff. And he's from, he grew up in Texas riding horses. I don't know if he told you that. Yeah. You know, I mean, but man, with, you know, it was so great. Cause you know, at, at those festivals is great. I mean, these artists are great, you know, but it's kind of, you know, it's very storytelling oriented and not strong, not really that much about the guitar playing and the music, you know, it's kind of three chords in the truth. And these guys tell these cool stories and write these original songs. And they're really great balladeers and stuff and poets. And then I heard, you know, hot club of Cowtown and, and these young guys were just like, just on fire and playing so great and had this great sound. Whit was playing, you know, at that time he was playing that L, uh, the L5 and the, you know, and, and this Gibson amp, you know, and it had just such a wonderful buoyancy to the beat and the sound and, and such great tunes, you know, and it was uh, so fresh, you know, and yet so, it was, it had both. It had, it was reminiscent of a, of a period in time and yet fresh and original at the same time. You know, that's, that's, that's the thing where it's a bold thing to say, you know, so forgive me, but if to try to be, I mean, you want to be yourself for it, whether you want to play rock and roll or jazz or whatever, you know, you want to be yourself, of course, but if, if your aesthetics, if you are learned or in a, something that happened further back than say rock or or contemporary jazz then it, it gets more more and more abstract for your average person to understand but you want to be a con you want to sound aesthetically appropriate and like fit in to that to that time and yet you want to be originals you want to be a contemporary of your heroes it's pretty bold to say that but that's the that's the you know yeah. that's your goal sorry I'll I'll call you back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, that's, but that's really, you know, it, it's funny how, like, I think that's in so many ways, that's like, as you get older, you realize the futility of that, of some of that thinking. And that, yeah, I mean, when you're young, it's, I got to be me. I got to be me. I got to be me. And then, and whether you're playing swing or rock and roll or, or hip hop, you know, whatever, you know, you, you know, you've got this driving thing to be yourself. And of course you're, you're, you're just a mixture of the things you like that you've heard, you know what I mean? Cause that's how you develop your vision. Your sonic that's right. And then, it, and then you realize you had no, as you get older, you realize you had no choice all along. You're just going to be yourself. You are you. You know, and like that's whether the that's world right. can hear that, whether the world, you know, because of your your sound hearkening back to another era and because your repertoire is from that era. You know, if somebody's stupid enough to think that, well, that, that you're just copying something because they don't have educated ears, then that's their problem. Really, there's it's it's, it's impossible to be anybody but yourself. You that's know? absolutely and, correct. That's right. And it's like some days, you know, I have times because my my background is is rock and roll. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think I speak for everybody. It's like you just like, like, well, all right. Occasionally I like daydream about, oh, man, what am I doing? I should just play rock and roll. It's totally fun. I can really play it well now. 
and and yet it's it's all just a fantasy it's like whatever you want to pursue and make you just got to own it and be sincere to the thing because like you said whoever you are it's going to be different even if i try to play someone else's stuff it's going to still not quite be that because i get in the way so why not honor yourself you know right and and i think part of the maturation of any player is is learning to get out of the way of of the ghosts in your head you know like I mean, I, I sometimes I say killing your idols, you know what I mean? You've loved them, you've copied them, you've studied them, but it, you know, at some point you have to just like fly solo and get them, get them out of your them. head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get them out of your head so that you can play. Yeah. That's, that's when the magic tends to happen. So, with what at what age did you pick up the guitar? Were you a young bloke, like family, or? Yeah, I, yeah, I was. I'm not 100 percent sure that you know. It's I was. I was young. I was probably seven or something. And and it was was it was it rock first or was it straight into the western swing? Oh no, it was rock first. Well, first it was kind of a. My dad had this guitar lying around that was an open tuning. So, you know, you just strum it. It was a chord and you put one finger across the fifth fret and you had your five chord. So, you know, pretty good start. Um, and then, uh, so kind of messing with that. And then by the time I was 12 or so playing uh, folk songs, sort of Bob Dylan, uh, not, not learning them. I was never good at like sitting down and actually learning other people's songs, but I would, Oh, what's that sound? I got to figure that out. Oh, A minor. Oh, that's a keeper. <laughs> you know, and then just <laughs> play a dozen songs with A minor. Play that for six months. That's that's the honest version of what happened over the years. And then when I was probably around twenty years old, I it dawned on me if I took a guitar lesson, I might get better. And so I I, I went and tried to take some, but they were very like old fashioned, old school pedestrian like mel bay just it was kind of nowhere like you learn a c major seven chord and and it, you you have no context it's not that the guy wasn't trying to do well and that not that i couldn't learn but there's no context i don't listen to music with that chord you know or if i did i didn't know it i'm listening to van halen you know and uh so uh a few years after that um a friend of mine told me I should take um, lessons. I uh, I don't remember which came first, but I eventually ended up taking lessons with Bill Connors, the the fusion, the jazz guitar player out of New York. Played with Chick Corea and yeah, um, and so I took a year's worth of lessons. I lived at my grandmother's. I lived in her attic in Bayside, Queens, and I would take the train into the city every week and uh, take a lesson for thirty five bucks and. Uh, my grandmother gave me a dollar for for a lunch, which pretty much bought one, either one cup of Danon yogurt or one Tropicana orange juice. <laughs> that, was, that was my, and I have her to thank for my lovely figure today. <laughs> uh, and for Bill, uh, I still have my grandmother was old old fashioned, and she wanted a report card. And I'm like, guitar teachers don't give report cards. And, you know, after a few months, she's like, I'm paying $35 a week. I want a report card. 
Oh, okay. great. All right. So Bill wrote out this letter on music paper, you know, dear Marion, uh, you know, Someday Whitney will. I should read it. I wish I had it. Oh God, I, that would be so, a great thing, man. I'd love to put it on the on Facebook or something. I'd love to see that, man. If you can ever find it, you know. I know where it is. I have it here. I, I just don't have it in the car. Oh. Uh, but but it basically says, you know, my favorite line is more or less, you know, and and uh, someday Whitney might even surprise people and actually learn how to play the fucking guitar or something like that. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty great wow so with your bandwidth did you f- was that something you formed was that you put together yeah well okay to be fair to be fair we would not be a band that anyone has ever heard of if it wasn't for alana because she's the she's the get up and go person who goes and gets the gig i i had the i the idea of a Western swing band that's playing this 1930s repertoire in this small band Western swing electric style, World War II style. You know, I'm pretty eclectic, you know, charter. And and so a lot, uh, and Alana was all for it. She didn't know any different. You know, she thought that's what everybody pretty much played. And our music, uh, uh, you know, accommodated and complimented each other so that it was going to work out. And, um, and there you go. So we, uh, it was, and, and, it was and quick, not to, yeah. quick, quick interruption. Uh, the time period of this, we're talking like the nineties, right? Early nineties, perhaps. Yeah. Early nineties. Yeah, and then that, that happens to coincide with a real resurgence of retro swing, uh, amongst young people in the States. Yeah. So yeah, I was planning in a your timing like that. Your timing was really good. You know, you came up with a a twist on it that was also very accessible to a a new audience that was, you know, pretty I mean, it was very popular. I remember the whole retro swing era of the 90s and how cool it was and how many guys found jazz through it, you know. Um You know, well one nice thing was that people- yeah, just timeline no, yeah no no uh sorry the audio is a little wacky but i think i got the gist of it and and people one nice thing about that time was it, there were still people alive uh who played music and recorded jazz and swing and western in the 30s you know uh i met everyone from cliff bruner you know, one of the first Western swing recorded Western swing fiddle players who influenced many people in the early thirties. I jammed with him a few times, uh, you know, Johnny Gimble, who was in the Bob Wills band in the fifties and tremendous and learned of, I didn't meet, but learned of numerous other ones through these guys. I would go to these jam sessions. I lived in California for a while and many of them had, uh, in the depression era had gone out to California from the Midwest, Oklahoma, typically Texas, and uh and got jobs in the in the industries that supported the war you know and uh but they played music in those bars i mean the western swing was like <laughs> super popular yeah it's hard to imagine it was like mainstream in the 40s and uh and so all these cats you know a lot of them just stayed there they liked the weather so they stayed and they liked the lifestyle and you know so we rolled in there in the 90s and uh early 90s and we 
got lucky to meet them and we would start going to their houses and jamming with them and stuff. And that was really cool. And, um, and I also felt really good about it because I mean, they were, they were amazed and excited because they saw rock and roll in the fifties. They saw the summer of love in the sixties and the seventies and eighties. Just, you know, they just thought, they thought that no one ever would think about them again, or they thought they were irrelevant. And so here comes these people who are considerably younger than them, who, who I, I would be bold to say can play like them, but you know, are trying awfully hard and giving it the juice and the sincerity and really making them feel good. And, uh, you know, man, they opened up to us and, you know, they, we had a great times. I mean, they taught me how to drink before noon and, uh, and I was amazed at how many of them smoked weed too. Like, There's this one guy, we went back to his trailer park where he lived and, you know, he's like 82 or three years old. And he's like, you guys want it? You guys, I forget what he called it. He had a funny term. And, uh, was like, Oh, uh, well, uh, cause we were kind of square. We didn't really smoke weed. And he's like, Oh, don't worry, man. We can smoke here. Cause even if, even if these people can smell it, no one knows what this is. <laughs> Cause it was like a retirement community, you know? <laughs> so he's like smoking weed. His <laughs> old folks don't know what it is. It's pretty funny. Uh, and you know, and they, and then of course they had their other stories because the war it's in world war two. It's, 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 it couldn't be better news that it's over and done with, but it's also sad. It's sad that so many people who invested their whole life in it are, their stories are going to be forgotten. And so many musicians who played in that the time that I particularly like participated in World War II in in, fact, in combat. You know, Eldon Shamblin, the guitar player, with Bob Wills, uh, was in the army, and he was a I think he was an ordnance officer, maybe um, a guy who makes sure that the tanks have the what they need. He's running around in a jeep all day, making sure that everyone on the front lines has the right uh, you know weaponry and ammunition so he's constantly and the and the lines of of battle are are they're pretty vague at the time you know they don't have gps and and no one really knows where the the enemy is and he'd be driving his jeep and getting shot at or you know he'd be in the wrong part of town half the time and uh he got captured by the germans and taken prisoner and they dragged him with a bunch of other guys to a barn where they were keeping him overnight and he escaped and he worked his way back and, uh, and survived. And, you know, it just, I mean, they could have just as easily shot him and killed him, but he got away. And, uh, then he got back to the States and he made all those great records on the Tiffany transcriptions. That's just a couple of years later. Can you imagine wow. that two, two or three years fucking later, you're in California living the life, driving a Cadillac, you know, playing for Bob Wills and, you know, <laughs> Um, incredible, right? So, when when that band started, was were you heavily already into that style, or was that something you made a conscious decision to get into more? It was a natural conscious decision. I I played rock and roll. I would have died on the sword for rock and roll up until a point, and uh, no pun intended. And then I started to, I started to waver, and I. Even as a young person, and I'm incredibly a naive person, even as a middle-aged person, I'm very naive. But I knew that if you wavered in rock and roll, you were not going to make it. 
and because um, rock and roll is every is all about energy, attitude, sincerity. It's a point, even if it's a stupid point, you gotta die on the on the blade, you know. And uh, and I, so I started to experiment with things, and and um, when I heard, I mean, I remember the day I can see the room that I heard Bob Wills and. The first Western recording was Jimmy Bryant and Speedy West. It was a, a record called Thank God for Hillbilly Music Part 2 that uh, Marshall Crenshaw, pop, pop musician Marshall Crenshaw, uh, had put together. And it came out on, I, I think it was a Capitol record. Um, and I'm working at Tower Records in New York City, and that came out. And I'm, the girl who ran the country department was... Uh, out for a vacation or something. And so they put me, I was working on the jazz floor and they, they put me in there and I'd never heard any of this stuff. And I, I heard the, uh, Jimmy Bryant playing, I think it was stratosphere boogie. And it just sounded just far out, just like the name stratospheric, man, it was far out. And I'll tell you what I really dug was the energy was like rock and roll, which I still had a yen for, but I, I hadn't found my way in jazz. I was trying to figure out, I, I tried to figure out the Bud Powell's um, Poco Loco on my Stratocaster. And uh, I'd kind of figured out a version of it using all four or five fingers at a time. And I mean, he's, <laughs> that song's got a lot of big chords on it, a lot of ink on the, on the sheet music. And uh, I have no idea what that would have sounded like anymore, but, you know, I, my my approach to jazz was not uh, friendly or organic, and and uh, when I heard that Jimmy Bryant playing that far out '50s country guy play swing thing, I I I identified with it right away, and so I told the rep because I'm working in the record store. I told the rep who worked for Rounder Records, I can't think of his name now. Nice, really nice guy. He, and he had his backpack full of like promo CDs, you know, and uh, the satchel that all the people, the messengers used to carry around in, in New York back then. And um, he he goes, oh, you like that? You, you got to check this out. And he brings out Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys, Tiffany Transcriptions, Volume 1, and Mission to Moscow, Lead Off Track, which is a Benny Goodman song, or recorded Benny Goodman, yeah. too. You know, I, I, the piano player wrote it. And, and it's Tiny Moore... Eldon Shamblin and Herb Remington. So three instrumentalists on old Fender amps turned up loud and distorted, wailing on some like harmony that a, that a guy with my relatively simple sense of harmony can grasp. And I just floored me. I was like, that's me. <laughs> and there you go. That was pretty much it right away. I, it, it was no problem to not listen to anything else ever again. <laughs> that was it. I think, but I think that's that's really a, a you know I'm, I'm pretty sure all all of us could have could say that you know I mean with me I remember the room I was sitting in when I heard Bird when I, heard, when I really heard Bird, Bird for the first time and it was like that's the music I've got to play you know what I mean that finally yeah. I mean, I'd been playing rock and I'd been playing classical piano as a kid and you know and all these things and this one thing came along with like oh my. God. God, you know, and of course, as you grow on, you know, there's lots of other things you bring back into it and you, you know, you refine it your own way. But I mean, I think 
I think pretty much every person I've ever read an interview about them, they can kind of almost draw a straight line to that spark, that one thing they heard, you know, they were already playing a little bit maybe or whatever, but they, you know, something made it all make sense. And then that changed the commitment and intent forever, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's cool. You know, it's, that's it. That makes the lineage and the ancestry thing of the music so important, you know? Well, you're definitely participating in an oratory history, which is the ancient history right back to Homer, you know, <laughs> it just goes, goes back, back. So what's well, you win? You win with you're the first person to mention Homer on Guitar Wink. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I bet, we you mean that Homer Simpson? <laughs> no, no, we mentioned Homer Simpson. I mean, you're the Homer you mentioned. <laughs> All right, man. Well, you know, you gotta you gotta be the first. Yeah. So I'm curious, what's what's some of the gear that you've got from that era that you love? Oh, well, okay. I mean, I I love gear, and I love gear today as well as gear then. Uh, so we can talk gear. 
but the gear that the amp that ends all amps just ends all amps it really it's it's the it's that gibson eh 150 from the 30s that thing has and, and you know i mean i love a jtm i love a tweed deluxe i love all you know boutique amps i love many amps for many reasons but that amp has a unique quality that uh that no amp full fire engineer ever tried or was successful in duplicating ever after that and and it might for numerous reasons it's not like they didn't try or they couldn't but it just didn't happen um but if i if i could just go on a little bit about that amp what really floors me about it uh, uh member people who use that amp charlie christian would be a that's one person who used that amp who's pretty well heard um i don't know for a fact but i think that when you listen to uh say tal farlow from the early 50s it, it would not surprise me if that was the amp he was using um i know that zeke campbell now that's not a household name but zeke campbell played in a band called the light crust doughboys and their body of work from let's say 1937 to about 37 or 38 right in there to right before the war 40 or 41 uh lots of swing tunes cool arrangements a lot of uh harmonized like twin lines between the they had a violin a piano guitar no drums uh, but they did a lot of cool old jazz stuff he he had one anyway it was great um a number even some of the old nashville guys and i mean the hank garland grady martin on earlier early tracks so did, so did, not, sorry to interrupt but so did jim hall and barney kessel they used to, now, into the 50s they were still using that amp you know yeah they right and and uh, they also i know there's some ga 75s being used which is a considerably different amp and also a, a remarkable amp in its own way that the 115 with a slightly different preamp tube it's a different circuitry but it's it's uh, i know that that's a jim hall amp and also a merle travis like that one but uh what what you can do with a 150 that i have not been able to do with other amplifiers is if you take a chord solo it's almost like you're listening to an acapella groups. So I'll just say Mills Brothers, you know, um, where you you can recognize who is singing what part. Most amplifiers, if if you're playing a chord solo, it kind of comes out. It's it's blurred. I mean, you hear the chords. It's great. That's not a criticism at all on the music or what it's going to sound like, but it's just this bizarre way that that 150 here's the note that you're playing and then the next note next to it and lets all the frequencies in the between them go i mean it's weird uh and that may not be accurate but it's the best way i can explain it because that's the way it sounds and the tone is really bright with no transient high it's like it's like really expensive wine there's really no reason why a $300 bottle of red wine should 
taste any better than a $12 bottle of Trader Joe's wine, but it freaking does. And even though it's all the same ingredients, you know, and it just does, it's, it's strange that way. Uh, so that, that's my favorite amp. And I'll, I will say this, it is so unique sounding that when I'm in a studio, the last record we made was in a Texas state university studio. It's the same one, Bruce, that we did that, the high plains rifters and it's called the firehouse in uh, San Marcos, Texas. It's a wonderful studio. It's a big room, a great board. It's great. And, um, the, but one of the uh, stipulations that you get, because it's a very good price, uh, but the stipulation is that you allow students to to uh, sit in the control room and, and watch. They don't participate. They don't get in your way at all. Um, but, I mean, every day, <laughs> two or three students would be like, wow, what kind of amp is that? What? Why does it sound like that? No, I was just like, that's that 150, man. It's just what it does. So that's my favorite, my favorite piece of gear. I mean, it, it, that's a, that's a pretty good one. Get yourself a an EH one fifty. Very quiet. If somebody starts to play drums on the bandstand, you're <laughs> you're out of luck. You're just going to be lost. Wow! Can but, you even can you even grab them anymore? With yeah, yeah, you see them all the time. I mean, it, it's as desirable as they could be for the right person. They're not a very desirable amp, all things considered. You know. Not a not a good pedal platform. No good for a lot of contemporary things, and they're not going to make you a better guitar player. So you know, there's just there's really no reason why you should have one unless you're way into trying to recreate something from that time, <clears throat> or or you think that your voice comes from that time. Like right. you, you, you well, think you're uh, the way I play. I I you know I played those amps, and yeah, as long as like as, as long as the uh, I love playing in those amps just the way I play, which is definitely not of that style. I mean, there's elements of that style in my playing. But my problem, of course, is always the, you know, if you need more volume, you know, because the drums or whatever, then, then the, it just becomes mush. You know, it just. You're sunk. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. the sonic platform, I mean, it's just a real particular thing that's really beautiful you know and it reproduces your sound in a way that you know like like just like a great blackface has a specific quality to it you know uh this has Absolutely. this is another just unbelievably beautiful sonic palette you know it just sings it you know none of that harshness that you're used to hearing in those in modern a lot of modern amps you know? and there, there, there's no tone it's just volume now this is not, this isn't, this, you can't probably prove this, but I'm going to float this by you. The, the people, those are the first commercial amplifiers. You know, there's a couple of other companies, but that's the first generation of, of commercial amplifiers. And the mines, and those uh, blueprints, basically, the designs, the engineering came from places like RCA, uh, I don't know if Edison or Westinghouse, but you know, that old generation of early electronic engineers who drew from the greatest minds around the world that they could to use the greatest theories. And, you know, we're just absolute, the, 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 it's like rocket science at the time. 
And that's what they were interested in. Like, how can you get a sound? How can you make a voice travel? You know, like telephones and speakers and all that kind of stuff. That was a, a really mainstream thing that the great minds were trying to unravel. So they figure that puzzle out somewhere in the twenties or so. And then eventually by the thirties, it's a commercial thing. Just, you know, so and, and those guys, those minds no longer worked with guitar amps. They went on to make rockets and a bombs. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so after that, not that that's kind of a, kind of a, not the nicest thing to say to a current engineer, but that's kind of, I wondered about that. Like, you know, some, what were the original theories on why you would make a sound like that? Cause certainly those guys, if they'd had the material, they could have made that sound louder. Yeah. But, but, you know, maybe that wasn't the thing to do because look what happened next. You know, you have, whether it's Leo Fender, or Jim Marshall, any number of cats, they made fantastic amplifiers that did other things and other artists came along and you don't want to sound like grandpa. You want to sound, you're like your own anyway. So it's the evolution just took the whole thing away. Right. Hey guys, I, I'm I, really sorry. Let me just cut in. I've got to leave because my daughter and my wife just got home from their week vacation. So I've got to run, help them get all their stuff. And uh, sorry, it's nice to meet you, man. Yeah, play sometime. I would love that, Scott. All right, guys, you guys have a good night. All Thanks, right, Scott. Too, man. Talk to you soon. See you All later, right. bitch. Good night. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm still working on a giant glass of Scott. And your guitars are from that era as well, right? With. Oh yeah, well I, uh, well for instance, when we met, I was playing a 1925 L5 Gibson L5, right. and I put a Diarmid pickup on it from uh, the 40s or 50s or you know that uh, uh, era, and um, and that was it. No, I didn't even have a volume knob. I took that page from Eddie Van Halen and just you know wired it straight to the amp. Uh huh. And that, so how, that did you, how did you control the volume? Just by hit, how hard you hit it, or did you have a pedal? Yeah, yeah. Just you know, you want to play quieter, play quieter. Yeah. Now, not every rig accommodates that, but uh, that that rig did. That sure did. Uh -huh. uh, now I use a on the road. I've been using a 1946 L5 for about 15, ten or fifteen years. A 46 L5. Uh, I had a Diamond on it for a long time. Then T.K. Smith, um, boy, and if anyone is still listening, check out T.K. Smith, man, because that cat is a dedicated artist. That is an American artist. Uh, he makes beautiful pickups, hardware, a lot along the lines of Bigsby stuff. And, um, you know, he's way into the, the 30s to the 50s. And he's got the aesthetic right. His shop... Uh, looks like something from the 40s or the 50s he buys old tools to make gear that he buys old stock like wire and bakelite and things and then makes old style pickups <laughs> with old equipment using old material <laughs> you right. know are his, and it, are his magnets old as well 
I mean, I don't know every secret to his magnets, but I, I have a few of his pickups and all of them sound absolutely exquisite. They just sound great. And they sound like vintage. I don't know how that's done, but it's, it works. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to have more from Whit Smith uh, in the next next week or so. We'll cut it off there because we just keep going, if you know what I mean. Uh, but, uh, yeah, tune in next week for more of that. And uh, be safe. Be well. Remember, guitarwank.com. Go there. Check out the new mugs. We've got more stuff coming to you guys soon. And uh, we will catch you all next week. Thank you and uh, be safe. Oh my god! Do you have an exciting product or project and want to introduce it to a community of guitar wankers? A guitar? A pedal? Amp? Accessory? Or a new recording, perhaps? Well, how about putting your money where their ears are? We're now accepting sponsors who want to do just that thing. Reach out to us so we can help you reach out to them. Inquiring wankers want to know.